Greetings, educators, and welcome to The Wellness Space, a weekly podcast specifically designed to meet the social, emotional, and mental health needs of educators. I am your host, Erica Dotson-Hooper, manager of the Teaching and Learning Center for the Harris County Department of Education in Houston, Texas. Each Friday, a new episode will be shared that promises to inform, inspire, and empower. Thanks for listening. Greetings and welcome to the wellness space. This is Erica Dotson Hooper. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am elated about today's guest and the topic that we discussed, supporting special education students virtually, best practices for parents with behavioral specialist and SPED advocate, Irvin Shannon. Our conversation was so enlightening and I hope that it is beneficial for all who listen today. But before we get started, let's take a moment to step over into the teacher's lounge. Close the door, get comfortable, and take a moment just to breathe. You have now entered the teacher's lounge. If we were to go back just a year ago today and reflect on some of the challenges that we were faced with in education, I'm sure some of the same topics that we discuss today as pressing issues for our children in schools would be on the table. However, everything is highlighted and in living color because of this pandemic, as well as the social upheaval that we're dealing with in our country. While most are just trying to figure out how to ensure that their child gets a proper education, there are some special population of students who are not even having their basic requirements met. Back in August, the Texas Education Agency released suggested guidelines for schools to consider students with special needs in their reopening plans and virtual learning strategies. The agency suggested access to assistive technology, things like audiobooks, alternative keyboards, and school readers, and spacing out classrooms with mobility needs like wheelchairs in mind. The agency also asked schools to consider on-campus remote, hybrid, and intermittent closure models. As quoted by the Texas Tribune, however, Not all districts have been successful in meeting this charge. We are all trying extremely hard to meet the needs of all students, but it has been very challenging. I want to encourage all of us to be patient and kind during these very difficult days as we try to work together to meet the needs of every student. As we are getting the first set of data back and began to make plans for second semester, as we are staring a state exam in the face, let's listen, let's pause, let's share, let's hold one another up, but also let's hold one another accountable. Because in the end, it is our children who win when we work together. And now, let me present to some and introduce to others our guest for today. Irvin Shannon is a native Los Angelino with vast experience within nonprofit municipal government and education. 
Irvin is currently a behavioral specialist for one of the nation's largest school districts. His work is focused upon the implementation of a multi-tier system of support, inclusive of alternatives to suspension and behavioral services for general and special education students. Irvin's breadth of experiences span from comprehensive campuses, continuation high schools, and Head Start centers in South Los Angeles. Irvin holds an undergraduate degree from the Howard University and master's degrees from University of Southern California and California State University, Dominguez Hills. And now let's welcome Irvin Shannon to the wellness space. Greetings, Irvin, and welcome to the wellness space. Hi, thank you so much for having me on today. Absolutely. I am so excited that you accepted our invitation to talk about such an important topic today uh, for our listeners, and I know they are very excited to hear what you have to share. But before we get started, I want to first ask you, how are you doing and what are you doing to care for yourself during this time? I would say I'm doing well and really just enjoying your family, your friends, whenever you have the opportunity to connect with them in a more genuine way. I think for me, in terms of what I'm doing for self-care, being physically active and working out is very important to me. Mm-hmm. I have, haven't been to the gym in months. However, mm-hmm. I've found some great app that I use to stay in shape. Uh, and, and those have been really helpful in keeping me active and giving me a time to really do something for myself. Yeah. I I think that making the modifications that you need to make for yourself during this time is so key because I think that really helps us to kind of fight against depression and anxiety about not meeting our self-care goals. So I'm glad to hear that you have done just that. I have gotten into yoga and meditation, which has been super helpful during this time. And I just encourage all of our listeners to find something, some outlet that will allow you to center yourself and to kind of think deeply without distraction so that you can truly hear your own thoughts and make the best decisions that you can for yourself during this time. Right, and I call that distraction noise. And whatever that noise Mm -hmm. is, sometimes it's too loud for you to concentrate and really hear what your internal voice is telling you that you Mm -hmm. need to be doing and what direction you need to go. So I think you're absolutely right. I'm happy to hear you're doing the same. Yeah, so as we start our conversation, I wanted to just first hear What brought you to the field of education? That's a great question. I actually feel like I stumbled into education while at Howard University. I was studying finance. In my junior year, I happened to take a job at Lafayette Elementary School in Chevy Chase, D.C., and Mm -hmm. I worked there as an after-school counselor. I enjoyed helping students with their homework that we did with the students And I realized that I enjoyed those interactions and my time there more than I enjoyed my intermediate accounting classes or my management Mm -hmm. information systems classes. And Mm -hmm. that was the pivot junior year, second semester that I made to education. Once I changed my major to education, I knew that this was the direction that I wanted to go in. I wasn't quite Mm -hmm. sure 
if it was elementary, secondary. And so I took an opportunity to work as a summer teacher for Higher Achievement Program in Washington, D.C., which is centered around giving uh, marginalized students the opportunity to advance their skills to have access to competitive high school admissions. And so during that summer, I taught sixth grade and I loved it. And I knew that this was the direction that I needed to be in. And uh, I graduated from Howard University in 2010, left Howard and went to USC, earned a master's in education and graduated in 2012. Unfortunately, due to the climate at the time in, in Los Angeles, a lot of teachers were being laid off. And so I did not have the opportunity to join a district in Los Angeles. And I ended up working for one of the largest churches in Los Angeles and was able to create programs for youth and giving them access to education, employment, and entrepreneurship all while they were on probation supervision, under probation supervision. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I still was teaching. Mm -hmm. I found that many of the participants in the program did not have the necessary skills to write an effective cover letter or to complete uh, a questionnaire on a job application. So I found myself Mm -hmm. teaching informative and persuasive writing, even in that role as a program manager at the church. And Mm -hmm. that just reaffirmed for me that education was the space and place for me to operate in. And I I can only imagine supporting students from that vantage point had to be very eye-opening to see how many students had not gotten the proper foundation to be able to make the next necessary steps to change their lives. Absolutely. Uh, During that time, I I learned that so many of the participants in the program had an eligibility for special education. Um, Many of them were credit deficient and many of Mm -hmm. them did not have teachers and staff that they were connected with at their school campuses. And their disconnect with their families were also pretty prevalent problems that they all seem to share with one another as my team and I sought to support them and get them back in school, understand where, how, where they were in terms of graduation, but also assisting them in exiting probation supervision uh, was also a goal mm-hmm. that we had at that time. But it was very eye-opening to see what were some of the systemic problems that these 13, mm-hmm. 14, 15, 19-year-old young men in South Los Angeles were experiencing all at that time. So then you come into education when you are hired with the school district. What were some of the surprises um, or aha moments that you had once you got in the classroom? Well, I would say one, I mean, we read so much literature about the overrepresentation of African-American boys in special education. That is not Mm -hmm. a secret. And Mm -hmm. once I entered the classroom, later I realized here are the entry points. The entry points are Mm -hmm. you have a, you know, a fidgety boy who is moving. He wants to, you know, help and be all over the place. It's kind of almost bouncing off the walls. And it takes a certain type of educator to be so responsive to who that Mm -hmm. young man is and creating opportunities Mm -hmm. to cultivate and harness that energy 
in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And it's not mm -hmm. sending him out of class or having him stand outside and sit on the bench um, during recess and PE time. When those are all mm -hmm. opportunities for him to show his his energy and, and burn some of that that excess energy off to be productive mm -hmm. and focused in the classroom. There's a lot of literature on that and there's a lot of research around those topics. That was eye-opening for me to see so mm -hmm. many boys that looked like me being mm -hmm. put out of class, sent to the office, all, all of which is time that they are spending away from direct instruction. And then, you know, years of that, first grade, second grade, and then now it's time for me to, to, to do the, the academic assessment and have we just kept this young man in class or figure out a new way to engage and partner with his family, it might look a little different for him today. Now, you, you raise a very interesting issue. What I'm hearing is that teachers and principals even were not properly developed in being able to effectively handle students and their misbehaviors. Did you see a direct correlation with that? I think school teams really need to focus on creating safe, comfortable, culturally responsive spaces for students. And mm -hmm. once a teacher, a school understands who the student is, what the surrounding community is about, what it's like, what, you know, I think that is where we'll see some of the, the shifts and changes. And when I say that, I mean, taking, uh, taking the time to do an inventory survey on each one of your students sitting at home at the beginning of the year, what's their name? What's the origin of their name? How do I correctly say the student's name? All of these mm -hmm. sorts of activities will begin to make linkages between that teacher and the parent and ultimately that school in the community. And mm -hmm. once those sorts of activities are consistently happening, I think you will start to see some of the changes and shifts we want to see in terms of outcomes around students of color, especially mm -hmm. in their overrepresentation, potentially in special education and uh, their disproportionate graduation rates, et cetera, and being able to meet the requirements for college acceptance. I can definitely see how your passion for special education and equity in that space was fueled. What did that look like when you were beginning your educational career on your campus? How did you advocate for these students who clearly were probably mislabeled, misdiagnosed, and just were not receiving the type of support that they needed. I recognize that in special, especially in special education, your parent is the key stakeholder at the table. The parent determines whether or not we are going to assess the student. The parent determines whether or not the student moves uh, placements. The parent determines what sorts of services ultimately the student will receive even with the assessment data and, and so forth. So for me, it was very important as a teacher that I develop direct linkages with my parents. For example, mm -hmm. I would connect with my parents and I would give them strategies around supporting literacy at home. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. my parents would say, oh, you know, my, 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 my son is reading at home or my daughter's reading at home. And 
I would have to, to, to ask them questions about what they were reading. For example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if I knew that the student was reading a book that was too difficult for them, then they're not comprehending the text. If they're reading a book that's too mm-hmm. simple for them, then they're not growing in their literacy in, in that sense. And so I, mm-hmm. I would tell parents, let's do the five finger test. If the student can read mm-hmm. one page of a book and read all the words correctly, zero mistakes, that book is probably too easy for them. Mm-hmm. And if they make, mm-hmm. you know, one to two mistakes, that book is just about right. And if they make five or more, that book is too difficult for them. And mm-hmm. that is the, a great gauge to foster independent reading time at home. Many mm-hmm. of, of our parents did not have the necessary know-how to kind of gauge, mm-hmm. well, what should they be doing at home? Or what should I be working with them at home? And I think understanding that parents want the most and best for their students and their children mm-hmm. is key. And intentionally mm-hmm. partnering with them around their student, I think will make the world of a difference. I, I think that's so spot on. And I think that that is an area that probably needs a lot of work because I think a lot of parents don't even realize how much say-so they have in such a process. I've heard many parents say that they feel as if they are being pulled through the special education process and not brought alongside and they don't really have an opportunity to get all the questions answered and to voice their concerns. So I think it's such an important issue, like you say, that we build those necessary partnerships and connections with families, arming them with the knowledge and the resources they need to be able to successfully support their students. And I think even when you mentioned that, even sitting in the the role of the administrative role during an IEP meeting, I even still sought to ensure that parents understood policy and some of the rules around decision-making. And even if the parent was in disagreement with what the team was proposing, again, that parent has avenues to resolve their disagreement with the district and the team. And empowering Mm -hmm. parents, no matter what their social economic status is around what their rights are pertaining to their students I think is even more important. I think our schools have, we've missed the mark there and really empowering our Mm -hmm. parents to understand that they are so vital to the decisions that the team collectively makes about their student, their child's outcome. And I'm sure that schools would appreciate the support of the parent um, and the input of the parent because it makes the process so much smoother and the child is properly served. With that in mind, why do you think we have missed the mark here? Why do you think that uh, schools have not built sustainable relationships with parents? Wow, that's a, that's a tough question. I definitely think that we've missed the mark in a number of ways. So for example, my mm-hmm. professional experience spans K through 12 and Mm -hmm. At the elementary level, I found that parents showed up, they answered the phone, and they participated in their students' IEP 
But as we move further mm-hmm. along middle school, and then even at the continuation high school where I work, that participation started to really whittle down and riddle away. And then you mm-hmm. have to ask yourself, mm-hmm. well, why are they not coming? And I, I wholeheartedly do mm-hmm. not believe that any parent is checked out on their student or that they don't want mm-hmm. better for their student than they had themselves. I think the disconnect mm-hmm. comes from the type of experience parents have had dealing mm-hmm. and engaging with schools over time. And I've mm-hmm. seen so many meetings where different assessors, teachers, administrators, et cetera, were very dismissive of parents. Um, and mm-hmm. even parents with, with language differences, very dismissive and not mm-hmm. treating them with the level of dignity that they deserved at that particular table. Mm -hmm. And over time, Mm -hmm. you know, who wants to continue to engage with a system that isn't welcoming and isn't valuing your input? And so I think that is where we've started to miss the mark with our parents, especially in their participation in the IEP process. So no one knew that we were heading into a worldwide pandemic that would change the way that we do education um, now and for years to come. And understanding that we didn't have this proper foundation with parents, many of our special education students have not gotten the support or the services that they are due or need during this time. And I know many schools are still virtual. Some are doing a hybrid model. Some are um, allowing students to come on different tracks. But overall, we are hearing that special education students are just not getting what they deserve. I think we continue to really meet the needs of our students in just being responsive to those shifts. Mm -hmm. So for those districts and campuses that are still trying to figure out um, how to bridge this gap, What are some of your suggestions for them? I would say the first step is to do a needs assessment and really Mm -hmm. understanding what do your stakeholders need? Mm -hmm. What do your students need? What do your parents need? What does your community need from the school? Mm -hmm. And that data and that information should really drive next steps. Mm -hmm. What I have found is that many of our teachers in my role of behavior specialist, still needed support in managing difficult behavior within the virtual setting. Mm -hmm. And a part of my work, I have created professional developments that are synchronous and asynchronous to support that learning for our teachers. Mm -hmm. And utilizing your team, whether it's school-based or central office base to respond to the needs of your teachers and ultimately students Mm -hmm. would be the best advice that I could give to any site or any district um, in moving forward in supporting distance learning. Now let's turn the camera to parents. What are some of the ways that parents can support their students during this time? I think that parents 
can continue to support their students in a number of ways. For our students who are most impacted by their disability, I would encourage parents to really foster those independent living skills that mm -hmm. many of our school curriculums are responsible for doing. For example, community exploration and riding the bus and mm -hmm. mapping those sorts of community navigational skills for students. I think mm -hmm. that is something that our families and parents can continue to do. Have your student uh, continue to you know, look in the cabinet and what do we need from the grocery store, preparing a grocery list. All of those mm -hmm. things and skills are still necessary for them once they become an adult. And so for those families, I would really encourage them to continue to foster the independent living skills that we know that those students need to have beyond us. And when I say mm -hmm. us, that's school, I just say us and that's beyond the family so that right. they could have the highest level of independence possible. Mm -hmm. In terms of our students on the core curriculum, I would really want parents to focus upon really helping the student successfully self-manage. Mm -hmm. The self-management skills are so important. Mm -hmm. And creating checklists, managing their assignments, managing independent time versus work time versus free time. Mm -hmm. And really taking a level of ownership of their, of their learning and their day is something mm -hmm. that I think that all students could benefit from, especially during a time like this, where we're at home. For me, the days seem to mesh and roll together. I can mm -hmm. only imagine what that feels like at seven or 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So self-management, I think, is something that parents can really hone in on at home in creating routines, schedules, and allowing their child and their student to really own that experience and space for them at that time. Let's, let's talk a little more specifically behaviorally challenged students. I would say the best way to describe that would be um, unexpected behavior. Okay. For, for example, if a student is calling out in the classroom, it's unexpected. I wouldn't say it's wrong because it's situationally appropriate sometimes and situationally inappropriate sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if a teacher or educator or school understands that child's student's home culture, they mm -hmm. might respond to it differently. For example, mm -hmm. I grew up in a Baptist church and it is situationally appropriate to yell, amen. Mm -hmm. However, I also attended Catholic school and mm -hmm. I attended Catholic mass and it would mm -hmm. be situationally inappropriate for me to yell, amen, while the priest is speaking. And so mm -hmm. understanding those norms and understanding home culture is mm -hmm. so important to, to that understanding of behavior. So we know with all that's going on, with all of the challenges of having to shift the learning environment, plus this pandemic, social distancing, and the challenges that families are experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis, 
our special education students are really having a very difficult time. And so there are heightened social emotional needs for these students. Can you share some suggestions uh, for parents to support them during this time? I think the best advice that I, I could give to a parent would be to continue to provide that student, their child with positive affirmations, feedback, and trying to really foster the same experience that they had and same routine that they had prior to, to the pandemic. And when I say that, I, I mean, for example, if the student has anxiety or the child has anxiety mm -hmm. and continuing the same, trying to offer the same social situations that they were working on prior to the pandemic is so important. Whether it is them participating in Zoom or in, in virtual classes, but they might have their camera off. Maybe it's they have their camera on for five minutes. Are there any apps or websites that you could share with parents to help them navigate some of these challenging situations? Yes. So I know we talked previously about my work with parents around their their students' literacy needs at home. And one of the apps and tools that I used within the classroom was Bookshare. And I would encourage parents, teachers, educators alike to use Bookshare. And that is um, an app or a web program that can be used to give students access to reading material that's at grade level, but it's auditory. And mm -hmm that will support literacy as well because they're able to listen and still participate and make meaning and understand they are able to support their emerging literacy skills at the same time. So that's Bookshare. And I loved it. I thought it was a great program and a, and a great app, especially for students with, with reading difficulties. And Irvin, finally, as we prepare to close, what are some of the things that special education teachers who may be struggling during this time can do to better prepare themselves with the resources that they need to support our students? I would just want to encourage special education teachers that they're doing a phenomenal job. The work is very difficult in of itself in person and understanding that, that a special education teacher is truly planning for a whole swath of ability levels within the classroom and really honing in on what are the key standards for that particular grade, what are the key skills that a student should be mastering this year, and really focusing on those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. For example, if it's informative writing, really spending enough time, an appropriate amount of time to give students the opportunity to practice, but then also make the connection with the parents at home so that when the student is per se watching the news with their parent, they're able to jot down information and bring that back to the classroom for their, for, for their right work. So I think, again, focusing on what the standards are, what is truly expected of the student and creating those home linkages where possible will make the world of a difference within their classroom, but most importantly for their students long-term. Irvin, thank you so much for being with us today. You have offered us so much to consider. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before you go today? Thank you so much, Erica, for having me on today. 
in mm -hmm. closing, I would just like to share, especially with our parents who are listening, that they do have a voice, their voice matters, and mm -hmm. that I would encourage parents to participate at all levels in their child's education process and experience and seek out the support of someone on campus, even if there's a language difference or a cultural difference, and try to build partnerships with the school so that they are able to ensure that their child or student is successful beyond the K through 12 experience. And that's it for this episode of The Wellness Space. Thank you so much for joining us today. Feel free to follow us on the web at www.hcde-texas.org. Also, follow us on Twitter at HCDE underscore TLC. That's the Teaching and Learning Center for the Harris County Department of Education. And follow me and let me know how you enjoyed today's episode on Twitter at Erica DH. That's Erica, E-R-R-I-C-A-D-H. Until next time, be well. <laughs>